0: It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. I'll
1: be honest with you, as it goes to the leader, so it goes to the followers. I think if we want to see a mighty move of the Holy Spirit in the American church today, we pastors, not me included, we got to get right with God. Hey, the reason why we've got ice cubes in the pews is you got a polar bear in the pulpit. You get a dead man preaching to dead people. And I just think it's time for we pastors to get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the Scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring Truth Unfiltered to you. Here's Pastor Chad.
1: I think it's a sin for God's people to be boring. Hey, and in fact, y'all believe demons are real? You believe that God has commissioned us to push back the kingdom of darkness and expand the kingdom of light? Rescue souls from hell? It's the greatest rescue mission ever known to man? Y'all believe that? Well, then leave it to the American church to make that boring. We are part of the greatest, most incredible endeavor the world has ever seen. And it reminds me of this thing I, I found a little while back. Listen to this. A pastor dressed in a comfortable pair of old blue jeans boarded a plane to come home from a speaking engagement. He settled into the last unoccupied seat next to a well-dressed businessman with a Wall Street Journal tucked under his arm. The pastor was a little embarrassed over his casual attire and decided that he would just look straight ahead and try not to talk to the man. But, he decide, but the plan didn't work. How many of y'all know that never worked on an airplane? to not try, Anyway, so it didn't work. Uh, This man was very talkative, and so to be polite, the pastor asked the man what he did for a living, and here's the conversation. The young man said, well, I am in the figure salon business. We can change a woman's self-concept by changing her body. It's really a profound, powerful thing. You could tell that he was really proud of what he did. The pastor said, well, you look to be my age. Have you been doing this very long? The young man said, well, I just graduated from the University of Michigan School of Business and I hope to eventually manage the western part of the entire company. Um, The pastor said, so you're a national organization. The young man said, oh, yes. In fact, we are the fastest growing company of our kind in the nation. I think it's great to be part of an organization like this, don't you? The man looked at the pastor's clothing and then he asked the inevitable question. He said, what do you do for a living? The pastor said, well, it's interesting that we have similar business interests. You are in the body changing business, and I'm in the personality changing business. The man said, really? How do you do that? The pastor said, well, we apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. <laughs> the pastor could tell that by what he said that the man was blown away, but he didn't want to admit it. So the man said, you know, I think I've heard about that. Do you have an office here in the city? The pastor said, oh, yes. We have at least one office in every state of the union, including Alaska and Hawaii. The man at this time got a puzzled look on his face. He was trying to identify this huge company, and he thought to himself, surely I've read about this in the Wall Street Journal. But the pastor was just now getting warmed up. He said, as a matter of fact, my business has gone international, and management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of this business era. Do you have anything like that in your business? (laughs) The young man, a little humbled, said, no, not yet. But you mentioned management. How does management make it work? The pastor said, well, it's a family-run business. There's a father, and there's a son, and they run everything. (laughs) The man said, well, it must take a lot of capital to run that business. The pastor said, you mean money? It really does, but our owner is independently wealthy. In fact, the employees have a little office saying he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. (laughs) And every time we need money, it just seems to show up. Well, what's employee morale like, asked the young man. By this time, the pastor was getting so excited, he was almost shouting. The pastor says, well, there's one spirit that pervades the entire organization. I've got people in my company who would die for me, and all of us would die for our boss. Do you have that in your business? The man said, well, not yet. And then the young man said, well, do you have good benefits? The pastor said, outstanding. We have complete life insurance. We have great fire insurance. In fact, we have all the basics. You might not believe this, but I have holdings in a mansion that is being built for me right now for my retirement that's going to be so valuable that practically no money on planet earth could ever buy it. Do you have that in your business? The man said, no, I don't have that. Then the man said, there's one thing that bothers me about everything that you're saying. I'm a business buff. I've read about all these businesses in the journals, and if your business is all that you say it is, why haven't I heard about it before now? The pastor said, that's a good question, because our company has a 2,000-year-old tradition, and we have a business manual that's at least 3,000 years old. The man looked at him suspiciously and said, you do? You do? Look, what's the name of your business and who is your boss? And the pastor with a big smile said, my business is the church and my boss is Jesus Christ. Would you like me to sign you up? Isn't that great? So if that's true, there should be no dead churches out there. And yet Jesus in Revelation 2. Chapter three is writing to a dead church, and so look there if you would. Revelation three, one through six. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive. You got a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now listen, remember the background of this thing. John is about 90-something years old. He's on an island prison, kind of like Alcatraz. This 90-year-old man on a rock island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea is spending his final days breaking rocks with a a hammer. And this is one of Jesus' best friends. I'm going to say it again, because some of y'all have this idea. That if I follow Jesus and claim that the salary and I claim that management position and I claim that car and claim that house, Jesus is obligated to give it to me. Number one, he's not obligated to give you anything. Number two, my Bible says they persecuted me, said Jesus. They're going to persecute you as well. It might just be you start following Jesus, things might get harder instead of easier. Pastor, I don't receive that. You cannot you cannot receive it all you want. I'm just telling you. You follow Jesus Christ. It's not the easiest thing in the world, and that's what's happening with John. And Jesus appears to him and he says, "John, I want you to write seven. Write down these seven letters, and we're going to give these to seven churches on the the mainland of modern Turkey. And when these guys from these churches come to visit you, you give them the letters, and they're going to take these letters back and read to the churches. And this is the letter to the church at. Um, Sardis what you see this Uh, you know scholars who study this say that the order these letters really kind of go on the uh, ancient postal route there in Asia minor minor and Sardis was uh, was a town right north of uh, Philadelphia not obviously not Philadelphia Pennsylvania different Philadelphia but uh, but you see Sardis there and Sardis is an interesting place. This may have been the first place where gold was minted. There was a stream that ran through there that had lots of gold. And in fact, there was a king of Sardis named Croesus. There's an old saying, as rich as Croesus. Croesus was a very wealthy king. And there's a connection between him and, you heard the story of King Midas? Everything he touched turned to gold. There's a connection to to there. Some interesting people came out of Sardis. Um, There was a, a Greek philosopher named Thales, famous philosopher. He came out of Sardis. Um Aesop, y'all remember Aesop's fables? Aesop came out of Sardis. And Sardis was built on a plateau 1,500 foot high. And so it was really, militarily, it was a great position to defend. And, um, and so that's this church that Jesus Christ is writing to. They're the church at Sardis. You go there today, there's nothing left. There's actually a little village called Sart, S-A-R-T, Turkey. And here's some rubble. This is all that's left of, uh, of modern day of, uh, of Sardis. Jesus is writing this church, and there's no commendation. (laughs) It's only condemnation. In verse 1, Jesus says, you have a lot of activity. Do you see this? You got a lot of works going on, but you're dead. Church, never forget, activity does not equal life. We can be an active church. We can have barbecue chicken fundraisers for the building. We can go set up a booth at the state fair. We can have, I know a lot of churches in this town, they got a lot of activity, but they're dead. And Jesus says to the church at, at Sardis, you have a reputation of being a live church. You're a dead church. And beloved, I got to give you some bad news. Somebody's got to define reality. Sardis is like the church in America. The church in America, y'all do realize it's dying. You do realize that, right? By every metric, the church in America is going downhill. We're dying and we don't even realize. We're high-fiving and moonwalking and celebrating all kinds of stuff. We shouldn't be celebrating. We're in a mess right now. Church in Sardis was in a mess. In fact, um, I think one of the saddest verses in the Bible, have you read this in the Old Testament? Samson, time after time, he'd wake up, go defeat his enemies, Go to sleep, enemies would come in, wake up, defeat them. And then Samson cut his hair. And his hair was not the source of his strength. His hair was a symbol of his walk with God. And when that hair was cut, it was symbolic that he had walked away from God. And it says the enemies come in, Samson wakes up, and he goes to fight the enemies like he's always done before in the saddest verse in the Bible. And God had departed Samson, and Samson didn't even realize it. That can happen to this church. Spirit of God just takes his hand off this place and we don't even realize it. And that's what's happening to the church there at Sardis. Listen, in America, about 3,500 churches close every single year. We turn them into condos, we turn them into uh, bed and breakfasts or whatever. 3,500 churches every year in America die. There was a story published on, I don't know if you read this, it's kind of a fringy, wacky left-wing blog. It's called The Washington Post. Have you heard of that before? And they, uh, they had a story a little while back uh, that the Gallup folks released their study of religion in America. And for the first time in history, church membership is now below 50% of the population. In 2000, almost 70% of people were connected to, uh, to a church or a religious organization. Now it's 47% and it's dropping quickly. In fact, one major liberal denomination that turned its back on God celebrated the fact a little while back that they lost 50,000 members last year. You say, why would you celebrate the fact that you have just lost 50,000 members? The leader said, well, the year before we lost 56,000 members, so we're dying. We're just not dying as fast as we once were. And that's the church in America. Somehow, some way, deadness has entered the body of Christ. And I'll be honest with you, church. I'm trying to be mean, but we can blame the secularization of society. You can do that if you want. You can blame how, you know, messed up society is. It's not society's fault. We're at fault here. 80% of churches in America have plateaued or declining. I'm not gonna tell you the name of the church. I'm not gonna tell you when we went to visit. I'm not gonna tell you, because I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. But Dawn and I, a little while back, Went to a church on a Sunday morning. And it was, it it bothered me greatly. There was a lethargy in that place. People would shuffle up on the platform, read a couple announcements, throw out a couple prayer requests, and they were all anatomy lesson. Pray for this guy's goiter, her arthritis, that guy's whatever, that's all it was. And it was just a dead, dead church. And I sat there. And I looked in front of me, they had the pew, you know, I don't know if we have, do we have ballpoint pens in the chairs? The, the pews there, there was the ballpoint pen and stuff, if you want to write stuff down. I remember sitting there in service, looking at that ballpoint pen, thinking, if I took that thing and jabbed it into my jugular vein, how long would it take for me to bleed out and just get out of this misery? I mean, it was, it was painful. Well, that's what we've done in America. We have taken the best news the world has ever seen, the most exciting walk the world has ever seen, and we have made it dead and boring. Somebody asked a young lady recently, define church, and here's how she defined it. Church is a group of boring people led by a boring man who teaches them how to be even more boring. I heard about a a deacon that actually died. He had a heart attack and he died in the middle of one of the worship services. And they called the EMS to come and get the dead deacon. And they had to haul out five deacons before they got the right one. And so, and I'll say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash, this is not, this is not bashing denominations. This is, I, not, there's as simple of God churches that are dead. I'll be honest with you. As it goes to the leaders, so it goes to the followers. I think if we want to see a mighty move of the Holy Spirit in the American church today, we pastors, and I, me included, we got to get right with God. Hey, the reason why we've got ice cubes in the pews is you've got a polar bear in the pulpit. you get a dead man preaching to dead people. And I just think it's time for we pastors to get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and show some passion. Listen to what Soren Kierkegaard, the existential philosopher, said. He said, a preacher who preaches without passion is like reading a cookbook to a dying man, to a starving man. And um, I'll just say this. We got a lot of people who are coming, maybe from different backgrounds, this denomination, that denomination, coming to Cross Assembly. We love having you. I will get this question of this statement every now and then. Love your church, love your children's ministry, love everything. I love your church. But why do y'all have to get so emotional? Why do y'all have to be so loud and jump up and down and get emotional? Why y'all having to sing Mexican on a Sunday morning? This is July 4th. Why do I have to do that? Blah, blah, blah. Why are y'all so emotional? Here's why, number one, some of us got saved from a devil's hell and we not gotten over it yet. Some of y'all gotten saved and you got over it. I don't want to ever get over it, church. Second reason, I don't know what your Bible says, but your Bible says you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, your heart is your center of emotions. I am very suspicious about somebody who says, I love Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to show it. I don't want to show any emotion. If I say to you, you know my wife, I love her, she's wonderful, she is a great wife, I just don't want to show emotions. Do you love her? Yes, my circuits are practically overloaded with love for my wife. You would would doubt my love for her, wouldn't you? And I just don't know how you can worship Jesus Christ and be excited about Jesus Christ but not show it because I don't want to get too emotional. And so, what do we do if we're a church, is dead or dying. If we're a denomination, if you're an individual that's spiritually or dead and dying, how do you get that passion for Jesus back? Well, Jesus tells us two things in this passage. If you want to get this passion for Jesus back, number one, pray for a move of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And you say... Where do you see that in this passage? We need to move the Holy Spirit. I see it in two places. Number one, look at verse one. In verse one, it mentions the Holy Spirit. Every one of these seven letters in uh, the, the beginning of the book of Revelation, they all end with the same thing. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, okay? This is the only letter where the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned in the body of the letter. Do you see that there in verse one? It's ironic that Jesus is saying to a dead church, y'all need the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 talks about the seven spirits of God. Now, it doesn't mean that literally God has seven spirits. What does that mean? Well, we call this the heptatic structure of the book of Revelation. Over and over and over again, the book of Revelation, the number seven is brought up. Because Jews really respected the number seven. They thought seven symbolized perfection or completeness. And so when it says the seven spirits of God, this is the complete perfect spirit of God it's also probably an allusion to Isaiah 11 2 that has seven titles for the one spirit of God so we don't worship seven spirit we believe there's one Holy Spirit okay second place where I see the the Holy Spirit inferred is in verse three he says this hey church and artist remember therefore how you have received church y'all are dead But if you want to be alive again, remember how you received the word of God in the first place. Well, how did they receive the word of God? 30 years before, and we see this in Acts chapter 19. Here's how Sardis received the word of God. 30 years before, Paul went to the city of Ephesus. This is in Acts chapter 19. And Ephesus is the third largest city in the Roman Empire, about 250,000 people. And Paul wants to change that city. And there's only 12 Christians there. So he finds these 12 Christians. He said, I know you're born again. I got it. But did you receive the power of the Holy Spirit? How you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when, when you believed? They said, well, you know what you're talking about, the Holy Spirit. Have y'all read this before? And so Paul prayed for them, and all 12 of them received this fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, and it says they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, and those 12 people went and they changed that entire city for Jesus Christ. 12 Spirit-filled people Turn a city of 250,000 upside down. Now I'm not a mathematician here, but because uh, I never know what, I can't remember what to do with the decimal. So 12 out of 250,000 is either .0048% of the city or is point zero 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 four eight percent of the city. I'm not sure which one. I'm sure one of y'all is gonna let me know afterward. But at any rate, <laughs> let's say it's .0048. of that city, 12 people, turn that city upside down. Cumulatively, with all of our services today in the North Raleigh campus, we've got more than 0.0048% of Raleigh. Don't y'all think we can change this city for Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, here's what it says in Acts 19.10. That move of God in Ephesus is so powerful, it spills over to neighboring cities. And one of those neighboring cities it spills over to is Sardis. So Jesus is saying to these people, So, said, look, you need the Holy Spirit. Remember how you even started in the first place. A bunch of radical on fire people passionate about Jesus Christ came to your city from Ephesus and they changed your city for Jesus Christ. Folks, we need the Holy Spirit. What Jerry Vine says is perfect. He says, what breath is to a body, the Holy Spirit is to a church. You take the breath out of a body and you have a dead body. You take the Holy Spirit out of a church and you've got a dead church. In fact, some of y'all who may be new to Pentecostalism, modern Pentecostalism started in like 1907. There was a group of Christians who said, let's have a prayer meeting. They're in Los Angeles, California, and there's this little dead end street called Azusa Street and there's a barn there. They go to that barn, they clean all the manure out, clean it up the best they can, put some pews in there, stack some crates on it to make a pulpit, and they have a half-blind African-American pastor come and preach, and he preached about Jesus, and souls got saved, and the Holy Spirit fell, and we call that the Azusa Street Revival, and it was incredible what God did there through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm making this up multiple times, neighbors there in Los Angeles would call the fire department and they would say, you need to go over there. Why? Because there's a glow coming from that place. There's something on fire over there and the fire department would show up and there's no fire. It was the glory of, of God settling upon that place. And in fact, I was talking to a man yesterday that one of his best friends is a man that's almost 90 years old. This man's grandfather was at Azusa Street. He said, my grandfather was an Italian immigrant Came over, was in New Jersey. He's dying. He has some kind of lung disease, terminal lung disease. And the doctor says, if you don't move to Arizona, where the air is different, you're going to die. So this man gets on a train. He's going to Arizona. While he's on the train, he starts talking to a guy. And he says to this guy, where are you going? Guy says, I'm going to Los Angeles. There's a revival going on at this place called Azusa Street. He said, you need to come with me. He said, God may heal you. And so instead of going to Arizona, he went with this guy to, to Los Angeles, to Azusa Street. And when he walked into that converted barn, immediately God touched him and healed his lungs. And he went back to his family, led his whole family to Jesus Christ. And now his family, almost 100, over 100 years later, are all in full-time ministry. It's just incredible what God did. Because when the Holy Spirit is there, things begin to happen. Now listen to me. God did, I want to say it again so somebody gets it. God did not give you the Holy Spirit so you would fall out on the floor and flop around like a perch on a pier. That's not why God gives you the Holy Spirit. God gives you the Holy Spirit to kindle a passion for Jesus Christ. We worship one God in three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's job is not to call attention to himself, it's to ignite a passion for Jesus Christ in your heart. In fact, Frank Bartleman, who was one of the leaders there at the Azusa Street Revival, wrote this. Any work that exalts the Holy Ghost or gifts above Jesus will finally end up in fanaticism. Whatever causes us to exalt and love Jesus is well and safe, but the reverse will ruin all. The Holy Ghost is a great light, but it's a light focused on Jesus always for his revealing. Where the Holy Ghost is actually in control, Jesus is proclaimed the head, the Holy Ghost, his executive. We may not put power, gifts, the Holy Ghost, or in fact, anything ahead of Jesus. Any mission that exalts even the Holy Ghost above the Lord Jesus Christ is bound for the rocks of error and fanaticism. The Holy Ghost will never draw our attention away from Christ to himself, but rather reveal Christ in a fuller way. We are in danger of slighting Jesus by the exaltation of the Holy Ghost and of the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus must be the center of everything. And if spiritually you find yourself in a dead place, pray for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in your life to rekindle that passion for Jesus Christ.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Celebrating over 20 years as senior pastor of Cross Assembly, Chad Harvey brings the truth unfiltered of God's Word to your daily life. Originally from Salisbury, North Carolina, His passion for reaching the lost, sending out spirit-filled agents to a global mission field, and equipping each member to lead their family in the amazing love and grace found only in Jesus has been the cornerstone of his time in leadership at Cross Assembly. Together with his family and a loving pastoral staff serving all throughout the week, they welcome you with open arms with any need, question, or request for spiritual guidance you face today. More than just a radio Bible teacher, Discover the true blessing of joining God's family right here in the Triangle at one of our two campuses with a third coming this fall. Join us any Sunday for our online worship service at crossassembly.org. That's crossassembly.org. You'll be glad you did.
2: Dream Center started back in 2014. Since then, it's been amazing to see how we started in more communities. And even through the pandemic, we grew from serving seven communities and ultimately impacting 57 communities over a short time. But watching the impact, it was the local churches that were stepping up. It was people like you that were coming out. You're serving, you're volunteering, and just pouring into the community for the sake of God's kingdom. Looking forward, we wanna encourage you to be involved. If you're not familiar with us, go look at our website, RaleighDreamCenter.org. You can see all the places where you can volunteer, you can help package the groceries in our warehouse, you can come serve out in the communities, you can play with kids and hang out. Or if you're in the recovery world and you you know somebody, maybe you have a family member who's going through it and you want somebody to walk alongside them, keep the Dream Center in mind, send them along to us. We'd love to to walk that walk with people uh, because we love people and we believe that's where Christ called us to go. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Uh, We see the great response where Jesus was said, I I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And just all of these practical ways that the believers are supposed to walk and operate and how it's truly serving Christ in those ways. Thank you for those that volunteer. Thank you for those that give to this ministry. And together we can continue having a long-lasting legacy here in the Raleigh area.
0: If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's Truth Unfiltered.